Hello friends, this is the AlphaList podcast. I am your host Toby. The goal of the AlphaList podcast is to empower CTOs with the info and insight they need to make the best decisions for their company. We do this by hosting top thought leaders and picking their brains for insights into technical leadership and tech trends. If you believe in the power of accumulated knowledge to accelerate growth, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. Plus, if you're an experienced CTO, you will love the discussion happening in our Slack space where over 600 CTOs are sharing insights or visit one of our events. Just go to alphalist.com to apply. Welcome to the AlphaList podcast. I am your host, Toby. And today uh, I have a very special guest. Um, it's Scott Chacon, one of the founders of GitHub. He sold GitHub for, I think, like seven and a half billion, eight billion to Microsoft. And then moved to Berlin, like after that, I think. Um, founded two companies, Chatterbug, and now he's doing the same thing again and <laughs> founded GitButler. Um, uh, recently... Doing lots of public speeches. I, I see you everywhere, <laughs> I have to admit. Yeah. Um, and yeah, really happy to have you here, um, Scott. Yeah, I'm Welcome. happy to be on. Thank you. So um, maybe we start early. Like, how did you, how and why did you get into computing? Like, what's your personal nerd journey? <laughs> um, that's a good, I think, like a lot of people my age, I started with the TI-82 calculator. So <laughs> <laughs> I... Uh, I I remember programming it to to I I you know I took computer programming classes I think in high school I didn't really get into it before that too much um, my grandpa had some computers where you know like the big floppy disk that you'd put in and had like a handle that you'd pull down and stuff so um, <laughs> I, I'm I'm from that era but but uh, it really started with the the stupid calculator that we had in high school and and you could program it to do all sorts of stuff and I remember programming it. Um, because I, I would put some game, I would made like Monopoly on it and some, you know, a Lemmings game or something. Um, and I found it just really fun to, to be able to, to make it do stuff it wasn't really designed to do. Um, and I made a program where you could, you, like, as the teacher would go through and try to clear the memory of them. So you wouldn't write like notes for, for, you know, the tests or whatever. And so I wrote a program where you could hit the button sequence that would clear the the calculator memory, except it was a program that pretended to clear the calculator memory because I didn't want to lose the programs I was doing. Um, but I, I it wasn't to cheat; it was just so that I wouldn't lose, you know, Lemmings or or whatever it was I was working on. So that that was kind of the beginning of of really finding it fun to to hack and tinker on stuff. And next step, like, why did you make it your profession? Well, actually, I graduated from from school. I went to UCSD, and I graduated and and. Uh, I wanted to become a linguist, so I was going to get a, a master's degree in linguistics. Uh, and and before that happened, I I was kind of very broke, and uh, I got a job doing computer programming. I, I had been doing programming my whole time through through college. That's kind of how I worked my way through college. Um, and I just decided it was much easier. I enjoyed doing it, and it paid much much better. So so I ended up just kind of going down that route, um, which which obviously I have not regretted. But, uh, but you know, comes back into to Chatterbug later of, of, of I've always had this sort of fascination with languages and linguistics. And so that was, that was kind of how it started. Okay, cool. And, and, and what is the story behind GitHub? 
Uh, so GitHub, actually, so I worked in tech in, in the Bay Area for, for several years after I graduated from college, and um, I got into Ruby. I was in PHP, like, a, you know, sort of a lot of people doing websites at the time, and I, I really liked it, and I, I had worked in PHP for years. Um, and then Rails came out, and I, I you know, I had read a lot of the same books, I think, that that had inspired sort of the framework for, for Rails, and, and I was trying to do similar stuff in PHP and kind of writing my own frameworks and that, that were similar to that, um, act, you know, sort of controller model view stuff. And um, and it came out, and I was like, this is super cool, and I started writing some some websites in it, and then I, I, I started going to these Ruby meetups because of that, and I met the GitHub guys at Ruby meetups. And at the time, I was really into Git because we were using Git at the company I was at, and I, so I kind of became known, I think, in, in these Ruby meetups as the Git guy. I was kind of s- sort of obsessed with Git. And I was rewriting Git in you know, Ruby and, and sort of like internals and stuff um, and action script. And like I would always kind of go to these Ruby meetups and show some dumb dumb stuff I was working on in, in, in Git. Um, I met Tom and, and Chris and PJ and, and uh, they, they sort of contracted me to, to work on Gist. So um, I, my, one of my small claim claims to fame is is I have just number one. So if you go to just.github.com slash schacone slash one, that's the very first gist and, and it's uh it's mine. But but that was kind of how I, I met them and started working with them on on Git GitHub stuff and and then it was kind of a side project for everybody at that time and and uh yeah and then we we incorporated GitHub and and you know the rest is is history. But but that's how I met everybody. <laughs> and 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 you kind of you didn't walk down the VC lane at the beginning, right? You you rather bootstrapped yeah. it, or yeah, no. We I think Chris actually put in a little bit of seed money, um, uh, and and we kind of bootstrapped it from there. Um, we it started making money relatively quickly. Um, I think we put it out as as just sort of, you know, Chris and Tom put it out as this as this uh, sort of much nicer Git hosting solution. You know, that that didn't suck as much as like repo.or.cz or whatever kind of existed before that. Um, and people started saying, Hey, can we, you know, pay for private repositories? And we were like, yeah, that's, I think PJ went and wrote the first billing system over the weekend so that we could start taking money from people. It was like, if you want to give us your money, that's fantastic. Let's do that. So, um, and it, it grew enough where we could kind of quit our jobs and we all quit our jobs around the same time. And I think I took a, you know, I think I was making a quarter of what I was making at the job that I quit in order to do this when we first started GitHub. And I was like, I'm going to go broke, but this is, this is way more fun than, than doing what I was doing before. So um, that was that was kind of the the beginning. I mean, before that, we were just kind of using it for beer money, like meeting on Fridays and you know at this Irish pub in North Beach and and uh, and using the proceeds of GitHub to to buy beer and talk about what we wanted to do next. And um, and then it did you know it exploded over time. It was a very slow explosion. I don't I don't think we got enough money to hire another developer for another year probably after after we we quit our jobs. But it was was also not really needed, right? Like because you were like a small, efficient team, and um, the, the the topic kind of worked out. Or yeah, I mean, we also lucked out in that we knew a lot of people in the in the area, right? Like the Ruby meetup was full of people from Engineard and Twitter, and and you know all of these companies, and we kind of cut a deal. I, I can't remember if it was Chris or Tom cut a deal with uh, Engineard where we had free hosting, um, so that if we put their logo on the bottom of our of our website. Um, and they really bankrolled sort of the the server costs for a long time in a way that allowed us to bootstrap in a way that I think would would have been difficult otherwise. Um, but uh, but yeah, over time we 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 it just grew organically for a long time, and then we didn't need 
VC money. We, I think we were approached by VCs a lot of – I remember very specifically us talking about this in the early days. Should we take this money and try to accelerate growth? And and it just never really seemed worth it. And the VCs that we talked to – I remember this to this day because you know now I do some angel investing and stuff. Is Somebody told us that the, the total market cap of, of the entire industry that we were in was like $100 million, right? And so – like and then and then you know I mean you fast forward ten year eight years and and you know the company sells for seven billion dollars like just our company sells for seven billion dollars right and then there's also GitLab which is essentially the same you know sort of a copy of of the same type of thing which is a, an IPO'd company so like obviously the market cap is very big um, and so I kind of took from that never never really take uh, you know VCs opinions too seriously because they they also don't know what they're talking about nobody really knows what they're talking about. But, but then you also took some money before you sold, uh, I guess, right? Or was it all yours we did. Like, when you sold? Yeah, no. I mean, we, we bootstrapped. The, I think the company was 150 employees probably bootstrapped. Um, and we, we at some point, we started talking to VC. I mean, everybody really wanted to, we, you know, we had no investment. And so every VC company wanted to invest in us because all their portfolio companies used used GitHub. Um, and they, they knew that we had not had any investment. And so... We uh, we did sort of this round where we had VCs pitch to us why we should take their money. So we we kind of did the like a, made everybody do a reverse pitch, like come to our office and tell us why we should take their money. And it was kind of a, a really arrogant, ridiculous uh, process. And and I'm a little embarrassed about parts of it now, but it was you know fun and we were young and and we were in the position to be able to do that that almost nobody else is ever in. Um, but in the end, we we took it because. We liked what we were doing, and we felt that we were we were really changing the landscape of software development. And and we kind of I think in the end we argued about it a lot, right? And in the end, we kind of figured go big or go home. And and you know because we knew it 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 needed if you take money like you have to have an exit at some point, right? And so we kind of set this timeline when we did that, and and we argued if we wanted to set that timeline or if we wanted to more you know just control our own company and our own destiny and it was it was not the easiest decision in the world to make um, and we did do it um, and and I think it worked out well for everybody um, the the company the you know open source the people using github um, Microsoft in the end I think ha has benefited from from this as well obviously all of our investors did very well um, personally but it wasn't it wasn't a clear decision like it wasn't clear at the time that that was the right decision to make uh, and then you sold and moved to Berlin straight away or like wh wh why did you move at all no I I actually I left github before we sold the company um, a couple of years before we sold the company I, I it had gotten very big um, two of the co-founders had already left um, I I wanted to it was a relative it was 450 person company I think by the time that that I left um, and I I wanted to do startups again and and so I I left and I I started a company called Chatterbug, which was uh, a language learning company, and it's it's still running. But I've I've moved on to to Git Butler since then. But when I left, I I we had started this language learning company, and and so most of the people we hired ended up being in Berlin because it was we could find good teachers. There's you know it was this diverse sort of area. Europe was a much better market for language learning services and uh, that we were trying to do. 
And so I, I ended up uh, moving to Berlin after I was traveling back and forth all the time and, and eventually uh, moved to Berlin. And now I'm, I'm married to a, a wonderful German woman and, and we have a, a kid and stuff. So now I'm a, I'm a Berliner, I think, for good at, at this point. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that was kind of the, the journey. It was, it was step, step by step. And then, yeah, GitHub sold somewhere in the middle of that. Okay, cool. And, and, and now you're back to version control. Yeah. <laughs> Why? I can't get away from it. I, I, well, <laughs> the, 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 you know, I, I was in language learning for a while and it's a, it's a very, very difficult market. And it was very interesting to me, as I said, like I, I have a long time fascination with linguistics and, and learning languages and stuff. And I, and I'm horrible at learning languages and, and, so I, I I always liked teaching. Like even in GitHub, that was that was a lot of my role. Right, was teaching people about Git, writing pro Git, um, evangelizing Git, trying to trying to make a difficult system easy in a way that that made people's lives better. And so that that was always that's always been fascinating to me. Uh, I I don't I don't think I'm a very smart person. And so <laughs> and so if I if I can figure something out, then I I feel like it's it's uh it's on me to to try to help other people figure it out a little bit easier and 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 uh, take advantage of of what comes from that. So so yeah, I, I I got into language learning for that. But in the end, I I love I love developer tools. Like I love writing software. I tried to take some time off. Um, Chatterbug kind of wound down, and after working on it for six or seven years. Um, and I tried to take some time off and, uh, I think not working is not for me. It's, it's just very difficult to not, not hack on something or not, not have some project or, or something that, that I, that could be big and, and is, it's just so interesting and fascinating. Um, and so I, I looked at the landscape we, I had done some angel investing and one of the companies was on this new version control system and, and, and it didn't quite work out, but I, I thought that the, the idea was so interesting around it. And so I approached him and said, you know, I kind of want to try this again. Um, and then uh, Kareel had a, a, um, a company that was was called Sturdy and then and then turned into a PR, AI PR review company called Codeball. Um, and I was like, I want to go back to the version control thing. Can I, do you mind if I take this, you know, and kind of run with it? And he was like, actually, let me join you. So so he and Ann and I uh, co-founded Git Butler to, to try to go back to version control because it's, it's so interesting. Like, I think, I feel like Looking at problem sets from first principles, like I, I, I think we've we've all kind of been blinded by by the success and ubiquity of GitHub, right? Like it's 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 everybody's software development process now, and and I think it's somewhat rare to look at all the things that that Git and GitHub do, and try to rethink them a little bit, right? Like what what we have modern software development processes, Git hasn't changed in. 15 years, right? Like what, what could we be doing? What could a version control? If GitHub had written the, the client, what would it, what might it have looked like, right? Like if it was sort of redesigned from first principles. And I, I became kind of obsessed with this idea of, of let's tear everything down. And if we built it from scratch to, to meet the software development needs that we have today, would it be Git? Or, or you know, would it be something different, right? And and I like that that it's always fun to go back to first principles and think about things and and be like, what would a better system be? Um, and I think Git is ripe for that because it it hasn't changed in a long time. It was written for a very different development workflow, right? It was written for Linux kernel developers and and mailing list developers, and a lot of the tools are still kind of designed around that that philosophy. Um, and GitHub, I think, made the best of it, but it's not really. If you started from scratch, of like, what? How do we really want to work? Um, I don't. I don't think that's exactly the system that we would design today. 
In the red ocean of company podcasts, one has recently caught my attention. It's the Code-Centric Culture and Career Podcast. But before we dive in, a heads up. This podcast is in German. What sets this podcast apart? It's not the typical corporate noise we've all grown accustomed to. The folks at Codecentrics are doing things differently. Instead of being drowned in promotional jungles, the employees themselves get a voice sharing honest, unfiltered insights into their day-to-day -day lives in IT consulting. From fun and profit of project business to the struggles with imposter syndrome, right through to the challenges and rewards of parental leave in the consulting world. But what I truly appreciate about Codecentrics' approach is their commitment to authenticity. Authentic communication is the heart of what they do. They are not there to put on a show or bombard listeners with ads. They are laying their culture out in the open, unafraid to discuss both their strengths and areas of growth. For those who value true stories and insights, the Code-Centric Culture and Career Podcast is not just another recommendation. It's a must-listen. Give it a try and spend an hour listening. It's worth it. Just use Spotify or your usual podcast platform and search it or go to link.alphalist.com slash cc to do so. And, and what, do, what do you think can be done better? Well, is there's lots like of things. I mean, peer reviews or... I think, I think peer reviews is, is one. You know, pull requests are, are great and everybody uses them, but there's, there's a lot of, uh, you know... Like right now, I'm I'm trying to work on on something that is more like a Jupyter notebook for 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 code, right? Where where you can kind of put in text in between code examples and and annotate code and things like that, rather than kind of having your pull request description and comments in, in one tab and then sort of alphabetize list of code changes as a unified diff in another. Like I think I think being able to integrate them and update them and have a doc like a living document that says here's what this branch looks like i think that's much more interesting as a as a review process right and much much easier on the reviewer um or or could be um th but there's 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 lots of th i mean if you think about almost anything and get like like take commits are are an interesting example right like commits are massively overloaded like they you use the git commit command to do lots of very different things, right? Like you use it to save your work. So you have these like kind of crappy work in progress commits, right? Because if you don't commit, then Git just doesn't remember. Like it's not recording anything. It's not like Google Docs where it's just recording everything and saving your progress as you go. It 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 never remembers anything. And if you run the wrong command, you can lose stuff, right? And so you do these little commits or to switch branches you have to commit, right? Just to save the work really, or stash, which is basically a, a commit that doesn't, doesn't go into a branch. Um, But like you have to do that. You also have to use it to to transfer data, right? So you have to commit in order to push code to GitHub, for example, to get somebody to look at it. Like nobody can look at your code unless you commit it. And then you use commit to document your changes as well, right? And so, but and this is why people do sort of PRs and then squash merges is because and they they just don't care about the commits or they say every pull request should be like one good commit, right? And they should be very small and we should do stack diffs and things like that. Is because we 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 don't know how to We're trying to use these tools that, that that were written for kernel developers in a modern workflow that doesn't really work for how we want to work for the most part. And and so what I really want to do is kind of look at that and break that apart and say, so like Git Butler, for example, just records your working directory. Every change you make, it just does a CRDT of every file so that it's always, always like it, it can recreate any minute of of what your history is at any at any point. You never lose anything, right? You never have to do work in progress commits. Um, and it can transfer data 
but without committing um, and and you can review code and see changes of other people without ever having to do commits, you can just kind of synchronize the the file system all the time and and sort of that that recorded history. And then you can commit whenever you want to, right? And say, okay, now I'm ready. Now I actually want to commit to my changes, right? And then you you write out the changes. Here's the changes that I made, right? And, and actually write good commit messages that, that can be inspected later in a way that makes sense. Like right now, if you send out something for review and push it to a PR, and then somebody gives you review, you, you either have to, and you know, like you can't you can't incorporate those changes into the commits that they were supposed to modify. You have to do a like another commit that you push to the end and say, okay, I'm 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 fixing some review comments, right? But like then if you blame, then you get you get a commit message that says, hey, fixing some review comments, but not actually the change that was introduced, right? It would be better to re-roll the series like you can in a in a mailing list context, which again is kind of how the, the tool was designed, but GitHub PRs make that very difficult to do. You can do it, but A, it's hard, and B, then you have to force push the branch. And so if you're working on the branch with somebody, then that becomes problematic as well, right? And so it it I, I feel like there's there's better ways of of approaching all of these problems. And it it's just more about about uh, a sense of of you know ha- imagination. Like like what what should this process look like? And and what how could we design tools to do it properly? Mm. And but 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 it sounds all like enhancing the the Git protocol and 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 really changing the the inner core, and not like just writing a client. Um, what are, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I I feel like Git the Git protocol is is fine, right? Like like it's it's in the end of the day, it's it's a a list of snapshots, right? And so any I think we can we can have a lot of imagination on the how do we create this list of snapshots and how do we manage this list of snapshots? I don't think the data structure is bad. I think it's actually a, a really versatile, you know, kind of key value store, uh, you know, a, a DAG. Like there's, it's a, it's a very good versatile structure. It's great at transferring data. It's great at, at just transferring the differences between what the server has and what you have. Like, I think all of that is, it's, it's a fantastic file transfer protocol. Um, and I don't think that there's that much that we, we can get into this later about like sort of sparse, you know, checkouts and and things like that. Like there are things around that, or resumable pushes, or things like there are there are parts of the protocol that I think can be that can be enhanced. But at at the end, it's a very good solid core protocol, right? Like you don't need a better sort of uh, I don't know. I, I I kind of think about it the way that I think about databases. Like like you know, you can have a solid database like Postgres or MySQL or something, and then you can write tools on top of it that the tools progressively enhance much faster, right? You get better ORMs, you get better BI tools, you get better things that 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 manipulate this this core data structure. But I think the core data structure is actually very good, right? Like the, the way that we write tables and, and relational tables and SQL and things like that, I think all of that hasn't changed very much for a long time and it's very solid. The tools that we use to manipulate that and to create that data and to report on that data, that those can be massively enhanced with without having to mess with Postgres, right? And I, I think that version control is the same. I think Git is a fantastic core data structure and, and transfer mechanism, but there are tools, the, the tools to write that data and to report on that data, Git log or, you know, sort of branch differences or whatever. None of that has really been changed that fundamentally in a decade at least, right? Um, and I think the last big sort of mind change around the at least the reporting part of that or the is GitHub, is, is you know, pull requests and stuff. Um, and not, but like the client itself is essentially that it, the same that it was 15 years ago. So, so I think there there are a lot of ways of re- looking at that and saying how can we make this process of creating trees better 
right? And that aren't necessarily how Git operates exactly today. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you think like pull requests never became part of, 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 of Git really? Like why, why, why is it a lay on top? Well, I mean, they they were right. I mean, it comes from the request pull command, which is which is a sense like it, it comes from. I have my own Git server. They they really thought about it. It was going to be this more distributed system, right? Everybody will have their own tree. They'll they'll Linus will have his tree, and you know the lieutenant will have his tree or whatever. And you send an email that says, "Okay, I've pushed my changes to my tree. Pull from my tree, right? And and then merge it into yours. And you do that locally. And and we kind of took that same model and just tried to make it easier by not making it so you had to have, have it locally necessarily. You could have a merge button. You could have you could see the diff on on a website that everybody could see and comment on, rather than having to pull it locally and do that difference yourself and and look at it and comment on it or comment on a mailing list or something. Um, and so I think fundamentally it's a very similar process to to what the Linux we were trying to emulate the advantages that the Linux kernel developers had and make it more accessible. Right and 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 more straightforward, right? But really, kind of do the exact same thing. Um, but we, what we never really looked at it was was the client itself, like branching, right? Like this is this is one of the things that that in the Git Butler Alpha that we're working on is is a thing called virtual branches, where you can be on more than one branch at the same time, right? Have a really smart index where every change is sort of earmarked for a specific branch, and you can be on three branches simultaneously and commit them separately and update them separately, right? But keep them all merged in your working directory. And it's not even that dissimilar from what people that are really good at Git can do, right? Like uh, kernel maintainers or, or, you know, Git maintainer will will pull in several trees and merge them temporarily uh, to see if they all work together, right? And then then undo the merge and then pull in sort of one at a time. Um, But there's no particular reason that you can't do that without creating that merge that you can create the merge itself without creating the merge artifact, right? And sort of populating the history with these merge artifacts. You can do tree manipulation that's more in memory that I think is more, it's allows you to not have to think about it as much, which is really what you want to do, right? Like I want to, I want to look at your branch while I'm working on my two branches and have them all in my tree at the same time and evaluate them simultaneously. Or I want to work on a feature and then see a bug and then fix the bug, but not have to commit it into the history or switch branches and commit it and push it and get it merged upstream and cherry pick it down or whatever. Like however people get around only being able to be on one branch at one time. Like there's just not a lot of imagination that's happened around how can we create these trees, right? How can we look at and review changes independently and, and kind of either have them dependent if they're dependent or independent if they're really independent, right? And 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 be able to work with those structures easily. Um, and, and the things that Git is, was not originally intended to do are still not easy. And, and we've just kind of worked around that. So the good old integration branch. Uh, <laughs> can I have staging for an hour and integrate my changes with yours? <laughs> so that that is what yeah. you what you're going to solve. Yeah, I mean, w- w- right now the way that we've implemented is you kind of have your local working directory as your integration branch, right? Like you can pull in everything that will merge cleanly or test out merges or whatever, and and have them all locally and see if they work. And then it doesn't really matter what order they actually get merged into upstream. Because in the end, of, at the end of the day, if they if all of those branches get merged in, then that's what the tree looks like. But you kind of can work backwards from that, right? Like you can create the tree and then separate out the branches into different branches and review them separately, and then merge them in any order. But in the end of the day, the the 
end result of the of those three branches being merged is going to be the same tree. So, you know, it doesn't really like it's all about the trees. <laughs> and and it's just the people don't think about it that way. They think about the diffs, right? And and that's that's not really a how Git works, but like it's how it makes it understandable. And so, how can we work back backwards from that and say how do you really want to work? Do you want to be switching branches all the time or do you want to just do a bunch of work and then separate it as late as possible and commit it as late as possible when when you think it's ready, right? Mm. One, one, one thing that wouldn't be solved with, with that if you do it locally um, is um, uh, one key feature that, that is also missing for so many people uh, that, that's previews, right? Um, like having previews, like for, especially for web developers, having, having previews of a, of a pull request um, uh, is, is something that Heroku actually like invented back then um i I think before they they sold or when they sold to salesforce and then like nothing happened since then like there are a few companies that that try to solve that um obviously like the the modern uh like versal for example solves it i think like and, and others as well but but like having having a real solution for that would be would be great do you have ideas on that yeah, I mean that's a little bit different. I feel like I feel like preview that like well, a that's very specific to a type of technology, right? So you can have you can have previews for web web if you're working in Rails or PHP or you're working in you know like a Node or or whatever, like you can have you can have a branch that's sort of deployed into a specific URL that you can test out independently. Um, but if you're working in like we're we're building this in Tori, it'd be a little bit difficult to have sort of a you know a build of a desktop app from a particular branch that you can preview independently. And, and so it depends on like a lot of it is of, of that type of thing is more once we have a branch, how do we look at it independently? Right. And I think for the most part, it's, it's useful to just look at the diff and be able to, to do it or to be able to, like I was, was saying, to be able to pull it down. So if you have a branch and you've separated out a bug fix from the feature that you're working on, I want to be able to pull down the branch. That's just your bug fix and verify it locally. Right. And be able to run it in my desktop app build and say, yep, this is, you know, the, the, or run it through CI separately or, or something like that. Um, and that, it depends on, is it a, is it a preview branch? Is it, you know, a, a GitHub action that kind of can CI that independently? Is it something I can pull down and verify or, uh, you know, a QA person can pull down and verify? Like it, it really depends on the technology, but like, I think it's still valuable to be able to say, we don't, there is a constraint in Git that you can only be on one branch at one time. Like the index and the head are specifically designed for that and and you can't get around that, right? And so if you rethink that, is it necessary to only have to be on one branch at a time? Then it opens up other workflows that I, I think can be really compelling. Um, and looking at, or coming back to your company and, and, and your idea, like does it... Is it is it purely desktop or is there some some sort of a, a server side component team features etc cetera, etc? Cetera? Yeah, I mean what what we're trying to I mean a lot of it's alpha right like like a lot of it is is us kind of being like what would be cool like what 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 how do we want to work and what would be cool what what we are what we're building right now is is we have the client and we own the client in a way that that you know GitHub never had right like they have GitHub Desktop but it is a, a very vanilla sort of Git 
implementation, right? It doesn't really do anything to, to Git. It's, you can't do with Git itself. Um, we're, we're trying to rethink that and say, okay, it's recording all the time and it's doing virtual branches and it's doing stuff that Git can't do. Um, but in the end of the day, it's writing artifacts that Git understands and GitHub can, can you can still use GitHub PRs and things like that. Um, but we have an opportunity to have something that's that's in between and and that GitHub actually, I remember when, when I was there and we were talking about if we can have more, it kind of became draft pull requests or something, but can you open up a PR? Can you kind of stream work, right? So you can see somebody's sort of working directory before they've committed anything. Um, uh, like, is that is that possible? And it, and it wasn't because we were really trying to stick to Git, Git specifically, right? So you had to create commits and, and push them in order to see them on the network. Um, what we're able to do if we own the client, though, is to to rethink that, to let you hit a button that synchronizes your, your work to our server, to like an intermediate server. If you, you know, let's say you're using GitHub for PR and for CI and for deployment, you can still sort of synchronize, like say you have a team of five people and they all kind of have this sync, sync on, then it can go to our servers and you can see other people's work. And that that enables a lot of really interesting things that, that we can't do in version control today or with GitHub today, um, which is... Something in between sort of a – so let me let me go back a, a second because one of the things that's interesting is that we used to have this very centralized version control systems, right? And so everything – if you couldn't commit unless, unless it went to the server. And now you have these decentralized version control systems. But ironically, we still ha- really have a central point of contact, which is GitHub, right, or GitLab or, or whatever it is you're using. Um, but you don't really use it in a decentralized manner, right? Like, like everybody still collaborates at, at one point, but we're not taking any of, uh, any advantage of having a centralized server. So, like, let's imagine that all, we're working, we're using a client that's synchronizing all of our our our, our work in progress, like a Google Doc or whatever, to, to a centralized place. Now we can do really interesting things at that centralized place that that aren't happening now. We can check for merge conflicts as soon as you start editing a file, right? I I, I should if you're editing a file and I'm editing a file. Right now, what happens is we can work for three days. We open up pull requests. We review pull requests. We still don't know that those two branches conflict, right? Like it will only – GitHub will only tell you that a branch conflicts with master. It won't tell you that a branch conflicts with another active branch that somebody else is working on. But it knows where they're going, right? Like it could check and, and tell you, hey, by the way, you should probably talk to this other person because – one of the two of you is going to merge first, and that person will have 0% of the work of integration. And then the second person will have 100% of the work of integration of if there's a merge conflict of some sort, right? But you could tell that from the moment one person starts typing a line that will conflict with another person that's working on an active branch, you should get a notification that says, hey, you probably want to talk to them because you guys are editing the same file and this will end in a conflict and it's just going to be a race of who hits the merge button first because that's the person that will have no work, right? What I think would be much more valuable and something that I think we can do is synchronize your sort of working directory or or your, your virtual branches in progress or your even commits that you have that you aren't integrated yet and start doing merges in memory on the server and saying, hey, this is going to be a problem. Start letting you even collaborate on the resolution together, right? So that you're, if you have both these branches merged sort of or applied at the same time, you can work on a merge conflict resolution together, right? That merge conflict resolution can be shared over the network and you can apply it and you can look at it and say, okay, yes, when these two are together, here's here's how we've, you can even comment on it and agree on this is what the resolution should be when they're together, but apart, maybe it's a little bit different, right? So if one doesn't get merged, that's fine. But if one does get merged, then whoever merges first, it doesn't matter because you already know about the 
the the conflict. You've already worked on the resolution together. It's already agreed upon. And then it's just whatever the the second one, it's automatically applied. It's like, okay, well, the second one, when it gets merged in, here's, here's you know, the conflict resolution that's already been agreed upon. Like that type of workflow has never been able to to exist. And and I think everybody struggles from that. Like merge conflicts are a huge problem. And, and having a centralized, like let's just embrace the fact that we have a centralized server and that that's how we're working and have a lot of the advantages of decentralized systems, but take advantage of some of the things we can do with a centralized system, right? And 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 I think that there's tons of really interesting things that we can do when we communicate and share data much earlier. Tired of stifting through countless resumes and struggling to find the right tech talent? Look no further. WorkGenius has some exciting news to share with you. WorkGenius has acquired Expert Lead. Now they bring even more efficiency to your hiring process. Real-time live coding assessments for all. Whether you're a startup or an established enterprise, WorkGenius is now also here to turbocharge your hiring process. Say goodbye to the guesswork and endless interviews. WorkGenius matches your candidates with experts, saving you time and getting you top talent. Win-win. How it works? Share your tech job applicants. WorkGenius takes care of the rest. Your candidates? They are in the hands of seasoned pros. WorkGenius matches them with experienced senior developers and puts them through tailored, enjoyable and fair technical interviews. Your company gets the cream of the crop, the most sought-after talents in the industry. And you save your hardworking tech and HR teams valuable time. If you want to try it out, visit link.alphalist.com slash work. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny that you like Git exists in that decentral way um, and, and still people ended up centralizing like everything, right? Like just having that, that, that funnel, everything has to go through and, and it, it can be very frustrating as, as you know, right? Like w w whenever you, you commit late, you, you, you submit late and then you, you have all those conflicts. So it sounds like the, your vision is more like having some sort of a Google doc where <laughs> like a way of collaborating uh, in the future. Well, um, I think more, my more vision, like real -time. My, I think my vision is more, We use the phrase at Git Butler internally a lot, shifting left, like like it's sort of this this uh, testing phrase, but like trying to to move earlier a lot of the the processes that can be moved earlier. So like review, like can we review before we commit, right? Like this is something that you can do on sort of like the Linux kernel, like the mailing list. Like let's look at the, the way that Git was designed, right? In the mailing list, you can roll a, a, a patch series and send it to the mailing list and get feedback on everything and then re-roll the series, right? And so you can incorporate that that feedback and re-roll another series. Like if you look at the Git mailing list, for example, there's like patch series, you know, V4, V5, V8, right? Like, like they just keep re-rolling the same five commits over and over, incorporating feedback. And then they end with this very nice, you know, at the end when it is merged in, when, when you know, Junio takes it or whatever, like you have this nice, perfect series that has all the feedback incorporated. It's not eight other commits on the bottom that's like, you know, you know, addressing changes that's, that Scott said on the mailing list. And But we have no way of doing that, right? Because we can't really, it's very hard, like I said, to, to review something that's not committed, right? Because the commit is a prerequisite to sharing the data over the network. And so... What I really want to do, which is not true for the, the Git mailing list, right? Like you set, share the data over the network as, as this extracted patch series and, and not generally uh, put like a push to a, to a server somewhere. So 
that everybody shares. So I think what what is valuable is being able to shift left, like being able to review before you commit, being able to write commit messages before you commit. Actually, it'd be really nice to be able to just like start writing my commit message or or my PR sort of description or whatever before I've done anything, like just keep it going. Like if I'm working on a, on a series for three days, I'd like to be moving my, my work in progress to various commits and pre-writing the commit message for it and be able to, rather than at the very, very end of the process saying, okay, now I want to make this three commits, right? And I need to remember what I did over the last three days and I need to make this nice series or whatever. Like, I think that's kind of, it's unnecessary really, right? Like we can pre-mark all of this stuff and say, this is what the commit will, will be, right? And even share that and have people be able to review that and like make changes before it's difficult to do um, and then just kind of so, like put it in concrete at the end um, at the at, at the last possible second um, so I think I think being able to you know own the client and rethink some of these processes and share data with your team much earlier gives us the opportunity to build tools that we've never had that I think we would all really enjoy and just don't know that we're missing because we never have had anything. I mean, there's a lot, probably a lot of people listening to this podcast that have never used a version control that's not Git, right? Like they, they don't know really even like the advantages or disadvantages of it compared to other systems because it's so ubiquitous now. Um, I think, you know, largely thanks to, 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 to GitHub, which, which was kind of the first thing that came in and and combined these systems of of how you'd work in a private company and how you'd work in open source, right? Like now the workflows and the tooling is really the same for lots and lots of people. Um, and so, and it's been around for so long now that there's just lots of professionals that have never used anything else. But like, there are other th- ways that we can work. And, and I think, you know, being able to review before you commit, being able to see what people like, you know, get alerts when, when you're, you're going, you're conflicting with somebody much earlier in the process rather than at merge to upstream, right? Like I think, I think we can come up with some really, really interesting ways of, of improving our workflows. Yeah. Sounds great. Uh, sounds great. Really looking forward to it. Um, question is still like, will it be a 100 million market or a 10 billion market again? <laughs> what, what are your thoughts well, I, on that? <laughs> I think I, I think I said at the beginning that uh, nobody knows what they're talking about. So whatever I answer, <laughs> I, I don't know what I'm talking about, but um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that there's, there's still, you know, the, the software industry expands all the time and, and I think technology continues to expand. There's always going to be any way that you can improve software developers lives is a huge market, right? It, it doesn't really matter. Like people don't even pay that much for GitHub. If you really think about it, like if you think about it compared, like, you know, I run a company, like my GitHub bill is almost nothing. And it's one of the most valuable tools that I have. And and that's been even a complaint that we had when we were at GitHub that people were like, you need to be charging more for this. People aren't taking you seriously. Right. And when you're in, when you're in larger companies and, and I think it's, it's it remains true. It is, it is the best value that, that I have in my software development stack. Um, and so even if everybody, I, I, I want to live in a world where everybody still uses GitHub and they use us, you know, on the front end of that, right, to, to improve all of the processes before, you know, getting to all of the cool stuff that GitHub does, the sort of final PR review or the, the GitHub actions, the CI, the, the deployment, like everything that I think GitHub does a lot of issues, like everything, right? I, I don't want to get into any of that, but I do want to make the client better. I want to make archaeology better. I want to make it easier to answer questions about your, the history of your code. Like not just get blame, right? Which which is limitedly useful. I want to say who's in charge of this function? Who's in charge of this file? How did this come to be? What, like why why was it written this way? Like I think the 
that there's a lot of AI tools. There's a lot of, you know, if we have better history on how exactly something came together, that that you can ask useful questions and get useful answers out that that essentially nobody asks right now because it's too difficult, right? Like, like running, who even knows how to run get blame effectively, right? Like, like it's 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 actually I, I've been giving a talk where I'm I'm going I'm showing people options to get blame. And the thing about command line tools is that one percent of people learn how to do one percent of the command line flags, right? So most people just run get blame and that's it. And it's actually not very useful that way. Like you want to run get blame and you really want to get an answer, you need to run, you know, get blame dash W dash capital C dash capital C dash capital C, because then that that actually goes and tries to figure out who was originally responsible for, for one line. But that's still only answering the question, who last touched this line of code in a slightly better way, right? But that's not really the question you want to ask. The question you want to ask when you're running archaeology tools like Git Blame is what was happening here? Explain to me, right? What you really want is the person who wrote it or the people that collaborated on it in a little conference call and be like, can somebody explain this to me, right? But like nobody has time for that and it's it's too difficult or somebody left or whatever. But like, I feel like we're at the cusp of having tooling that can do this in a, in a, in a way that's much better than Git Blame, that's much better than Git Log for answering a lot of questions of, about what we want. So there, there's, you know, I'm talking about how to work in branches, how to review stuff, but also how to, you know, there's also how to answer questions about your code or how to learn about your code or learn about the context of how it was written or why it was written. Like there's just tons and tons of stuff that's that's completely untouched. So, so I think there's a huge market for, for it if you do it right. Why to use Rebase, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. My, my favorite thing to do is, is get a, re, you know, should you Rebase or sh- should you merge? Um, and now there's, yeah. or should you squash merge? Should you squash merge? Right, and and everybody has just religious argumentation around it. And and in the end of the day, I think it doesn't matter, right? Like a lot of this, these are artifacts of of a of a tool set that aren't built for really what we want to be able to do. And I, what Absolutely. I'd like to do is build a tool where nobody cares, right? It just doesn't matter. Like none, none of this stuff is is super important. It just matters. Does the code work? What is the history of it? How do I get context about how to write? better code or or to not forget lessons of the past right those are the things you want to answer with with these with these questions right and like like people want to rebase because they want to run git bisect and i've met like three people in my life who have ever successfully run git bisect like nobody cared like it's just or they want like a like like I, there, there are more important ways of answer, of of, of uh, tackling these questions than saying everybody should rebase or everybody should squash merge or you know, whatever it is yeah, remi- reminds me of the good old uh, two tabs versus spaces, right? <laughs> oh, well, two spaces versus tabs, <laughs> that way run. <laughs> I mean, I think we all so, know it's spaces, um, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely spaces, yeah. Um, so, so you, you must be like, if you if you if you care about collaboration that much, you must be into into productivity hacks as well. Like, what is your your most recent? best productivity hack uh, in, the, in the last months, let's say. Per, oh, boy. Uh, you know what? I... No, no, no virtual branches, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I don't have any, anything particularly good. I mean, I, I, you know, I like, I, I would say exercise is actually my best productivity hack, except that I don't exercise nearly as much as as it would come from that answer. Um, but like if I work all day and my brain is hurting and then I go, you know, take a run or something and then come back, I can I can do more longer. But like I, I you know, I, I think it it's different for, for, for everybody. I, I, I you know what I struggle with, though, that, that I find really interesting is is sort of the second brain thing like. 
Like I have ideas and things that I want to remember in the middle of the night or in the shower or when we're walking to work or something like that. And I've tried everything on the planet and they all let me down in some way or another. Like I, I think I've tried everything, Obsidian and I, I use Bear right now a lot, but like like it needs to sync to all my devices. I need to be able to, you know, just sort of say it into my phone and, and remember it later or remember it at the right time or something. And it's I, I'm, I'm answering the opposite of this question, which is what is a productivity hack I want to have? Um, and I and I and I don't actually. You know what? Never mind. I do want to come back to this. I I do have something that I use that I love that I do want everybody. I, I'm an unofficial spokesman for Rewind. If you haven't used Rewind.ai, I it's my favorite tool that I've I've found recently, and it actually inspired some of the ideas that that I've that you know we've come up with at, at Gitbutler stuff because. It, re- it records my screen all the time, which means I never forget – like I constantly forget what's the command line option that I, I – I remember that I ran this, you know, PNPM Tory dev or what – like I – there's – or I what was – I used it for the other day of trying to remember how to how – to, what the flag was for some test options in Cargo or something in Rust, right? And it's like ah, I can't remember, but I can remember parts of it. And so I'll, I'll search through my history and just um, put it down to, to – uh, Kitty, which is my my terminal emulator, <clears throat> and just say, just show me stuff that has this focused, that has this, you know, the cargo line or whatever, and then I can remember roughly when it is and go back and find it, or documentation that I found at some point, or some like random AWS, you know, blog that told me how to open up a port for my my you know Postgres database or something like that. Like, like I. Just having my screen recorded all the time so that I never f- – actually, the other thing is really valuable is screenshot. Like if I want a screenshot of our app and I knew I had it in a state that, that you know, it it ha- was in that state, instead of trying to go back and manipulate the data and get my, my system back into that state, I can just go through sort of the history of my screen and find that and screenshot it and then use that. And so like that is the best. If you're not using Rewind.ai, 100% use Rewind.ai. It's, it's really amazing. Okay, that's great. It's like kind of <laughs> next step would be like next step would be having like a personal LLM that like uh, learns everything you learn, <laughs> but just doesn't forget, right? Yeah, I actually that's really what I want. I want something I can like clip on my shirt and it just records everything that happens, and I can just say something, right? And then it reminds me later. And and if it weren't for privacy concerns of those around me, I I would do that uh, immediately. <laughs> so um coming to my outro question um i still have a little surprise for you um your 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 partner in crime at github um chris actually told me about like a, an easter egg he actually hacked into into github history uh like like the history feature in the web um which is which which allows you to travel back in time like really uh, for, for for sure um, you just have to add like a, a get parameter with a date uh, and a person, um, and then it, it brings you back to that to that to that moment um, in life of that person. And we now add you there as a person, and and then as a date, we we take July two thousand and four, when you actually started working at Reactrix System uh, as, as an engineer, I think. Um, and, and we now travel back in time and, um, uh, watch yourself there, like coding, you just like still doing PHP, no Ruby, like really like shitty old stuff, hacking, hacking around. Uh, and, and, and you now have the chance to whisper something into young Scott's ears. Um, what would it be? Boy, you know, I, I think about this a lot 
and and I I I feel like this is the most boring answer in the world, but I I wouldn't tell him anything because my life has been fantastic. And like even the crappy times, like like it's so hard to like I, I don't I don't really regret anything. Um, like there's been hard times, there's been sad stuff, there's been depression, there's been, you know, the, the horrible things that have that have happened. But like, at the end of the day, like, it's all an interesting adventure. And, and I love where I am now. And, and I'm fascinated by what's going to be in the future. But like, it's really, really difficult to want to redo things, right? Like you, everything that sucks, you learn from and, and everything that's great, you enjoy. And so I, um, I would, I would, yeah, I don't know. I'd just say, do what you. I mean, actually, I guess you know, if I would, I, I'd give this to anybody. But it's it's do what you enjoy doing, right? Like, like say yes to things, get out of your comfort zone. Like, I still try to do that, and and it, it's still uncomfortable, and it's always still rewarding. Um, and I think I was relatively good about that young, but like maybe double down on that, right? Like, like like do what's uncomfortable, and and optimize for what you really love doing every day. Like, it's a great thing you you said this before right like like why am i i you know i'm back to version control systems and stuff like github exit was huge like i i really don't need to work it's not i but i can't see myself not working like like it's just it's fun to do to do stuff to 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 build things to imagine a slightly different world and try to make it happen and then see how you can you know op, like how, how you can iterate from that um so yeah, that's a long-winded answer that is not very specific, but but uh, well, but a good answer, but, very good answer. Yeah. <laughs> it seems <laughs> as if you're happy. So um, yeah, thanks a lot. I'm happy now as well. <laughs> was it was a great <laughs> recording with you? Um, thanks a lot for that, and, and and hope to see you soon in, in Berlin or I, wherever. <laughs> actually, I was gonna. I, I, I do want to. I do want to put in one thing. It was it was funny because we met yeah. each other at this uh, at this conference at the meetup at the end when we we're kind of having beers together, and and otherwise this wouldn't happen. And so and I met the Ruby guys for GitHub at a meetup, right? So if I do have one sort of final piece of advice for anybody listening, especially young people, like go to meetups and meet people and f make connections and, you know, that like kind of get out of your comfort zone, but like go have beers with people because it's opened every door that I've ever had open for me, I think is because I met some random person, you know, having beers at a bar somewhere and, and it always leads to something interesting in your life. So, so, uh, yeah, yeah get out absolutely. and have beers. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. You can just second that. So <laughs> thanks a lot, Scott. Have a great day. Uh, thank you, you, you too. All right, bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Arcelist podcast. If you like this episode, share it with friends. I'm sure they'll love it too. Make sure to subscribe so you can hear deep insights into technical leadership and technology trends as they become available. Also, please tell us if there is a topic you would like to hear more about or a technical leader whose brain you would like us to pick. AlphaList is all about helping CTOs getting access to the insights they need to make the best decisions for their company. Please send us suggestions to cto at alphalist.com. Send me a message on LinkedIn or Twitter. After all, the more knowledge we bring to CTOs, the more growth we see in tech. Or as we say on Alphalist, accumulated knowledge to accelerate growth. See you in the next episode.